Hey there, boys, girls, and flying squirrels. My name's Joe Keyport, and you're listening to the Ear Coffee Podcast. This week, I sat down with Joe, Jared, and Luke of the band The Florists. Apart from putting on a phenomenal live show, the rock band has put out some of the most interesting music in recent memory, including their brand new record, Hold It Together, which is out right now. It's The Florists, right here on the Ear Coffee Podcast. Well, Jared, Joe, and Luke, good morning. How are you all doing? I'm going to take this out this morning. I woke up and I've just been reading and just ate some breakfast and now nice. I'm drinking out of my jar. <laughs> nice. Yeah, doing good. Doing good. Doing good. It's good Took to hear. Uh, yeah. Good to, out. good to hear, yeah. Well, yeah. let's sort of sort of start from the beginning. I kind of want to know how you all started like individually making music and then we can get to how the florists came together. I know it's kind of a big question for some people, and they have a lot. So if you want to give an abridged version, that's A-OK. But mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I would say, well, for me, I started making music like, uh, by just recording guitar stuff into my laptop uh, in high school. I started playing guitar in middle school, sixth grade or something like that. And yeah, made a couple short EPs that I look back on um, uh, in high school. They're very charming and they're naivete. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's how I started making music on my own. Then in college, I played a couple solo shows, but that was really my only experience playing live music for the floor. Was uh, was that more like a singer songwriter kind of typical <laughs> that? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was uh, me with the Jared, these dishes. <laughs> Sounds like you're making a whole meal. Fine, I'll stop. <laughs> there's a, there's a certain mystery now that we can't see what you're doing. The fact that we're like, what is he doing with all of? Yeah. 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 The more you guys want to see me, the less likely that's ever gonna happen. Fair, fair. For the people listening, Jared's camera's off. I can see Luke and Joe, but I can't. I can't see Jared. But. <laughs> oh my gosh. The are like sparkling. Oh, just chill out. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So when I was playing solo, it was yeah, singing songwriter stuff, moody, mm-hmm. very angsty uh, uh, songs about being sad and transitions that I'm not wasn't capable of mm-hmm. making at the time. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Hi, Pop. This is this is Tig. Ooh. Doggo. Um. Anyway, yeah. unrelated. Yeah. Nice. Um, Joe, <laughs> since in the video line you're next, do you wanna? How did you start making sure. music? Because you, because uh, I know you from a or in a couple of bands. Uh, yeah. Including yeah. Florist. So, yeah. I play in a few. I play in a couple different yeah. bands, but the Florist was the first real band I ever played okay. in. Um, I started playing music kind of in high school. I, I like I like dabbled around on guitar a little bit, 
could play a few chords and then just like played I played a few shows in high school mm -hmm. and recorded some music but it's mainly me just ripping off the mountain goats it's just it's music that sounds <laughs> that was just what I listened that that mm -hmm. was what I listened to very obsessively in high school and so I just like you know played D and G and C mm -hmm. and made some shitty home recordings on audacity uh, and then proceeded to totally stop playing guitar um until yeah what probably junior year of college what was the and reason you decided to stop playing guitar to the reason why was just because i like i kind of got i was I, so i was before i ever played music i was an actor and okay. did theater stuff and I, and I was just more i was really committed to i had like started directing a play mm. and was acting and other things and that this I went to an arts high school and like the big capstone kind of thing you do senior year is you direct a you direct a show and okay. you do all this work but I had just kind of fallen into other stuff and then uh yeah in college I just like was transitioning into undergrad and what that meant and doing playwriting stuff which is what I studied in school and then found my way into stand-up comedy oh and then met Jared and Jared and I had similar music tastes and we were talking, we just talked about wanting to play music and I mm -hmm. borrowed my friend Tyler's guitar and I started uh, pretty much reteaching myself how to play guitar again and then just writing songs. And so, yeah, so essentially it started again to, to start the forests with Jared okay. and then eventually Luke. Cool. And then mm -hmm. Jared, how did you start making music? How did I start making music? Or playing music, um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I just, I've been playing drums for a long time, so I just was kind of looking for people to play music with when the floors happened. Oh, gotcha. And then Joe mentioned that you met through, was it stand-up comedy in, was that in college? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So was, was the more kind of that performing that way through stand-up comedy kind of what you were doing beforehand or um yeah definitely gotcha i don't really do stand-up anymore though so i don't know how relevant that is to yeah. my whole origin story <laughs> mm -hmm. fair 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 um so that that idea of like more like per the performance aspect is i was something that so i saw you i've only seen you once i have to admit but and that was almost a year ago now you played with um, Harper's Jar for the Double Grave Cult of Lip kickoff tour. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which Jeremy invited because he said Harper's Jar and the Florists are two of the best live bands in the Twin Cities. And I was like, well, with a, a, a blessing like that, I absolutely have to see him. And so something that absolutely struck me about that set was how performative it was because it felt like it was just more than you're more than a really fun live band. Um, and I was wondering if that kind of performative style was at the very beginning of the florist or if you worked your way into that um yeah i mean i'd say from we as far as doing i feel like the the most consistently per, like more perform like bridging the live band performance into like a world of performance mm -hmm. art was when we started doing sleeper hit and that was uh that was probably i don't even know anymore that was probably when like we we would we would do stuff when we were just like in like the first year of being a band and mainly just playing house shows mm -hmm. for people. Yeah. Uh, and I think that we just kind of thought I don't know we we all sort of were interested in 
breaking that mold. And there were a lot of bands at that time that were like, a lot of like standstill kind of look down type mm -hmm. bands or like sort of gently yeah. rock while you stand and play your instrument or do whatever. And I was just, I don't know, I was really interested in what might happen. I mean, especially in a situation as volatile and socially weird as a party, there's so many opportunities mm -hmm. to make like a memorable event happen. And mm -hmm. so I think that, yeah, very early on, we were all interested in figuring out what it meant to do something a little bit different with the medium because it's more interesting, it was more impactful. And people are just like, I found it in my experience, more often than not, people are really game to do wild shit as long as you give them the permission to do it. Yeah. Well, the, the the thing that sticks in my mind from that show is you had us all all the people in the audience lay on the floor with our palms to the ceiling because Lisa Kudrow gave us stick and poke tattoos on them. And I just, oh, nice. that, that's something that's just very vivid and just a memory that will always stick with me just because it was so it, it was just weird and random. But everybody like played along because it was just so fun. Well, yeah, that's mm. great. I'm glad. It's it's funny, too, because I've now, like, had... We've just played that song so many times, I feel like there are so many... Like, like I, like I, I'm glad you said that, because I wouldn't even really have remembered that specific incidence if you hadn't described it like that. Now, like, now it's, like, bringing me back, being like, oh, yeah, that is, because that Mortimer is, I, like, am remembering that. Yeah. Yeah. Did yeah, my parents were at that show. That was a good show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, always an interesting band to play to to bring your parents to. They always have interesting <laughs> responses. Since since you mentioned yeah. that, if your parent, when your parents have all of your parents seen the Flores perform, or is it just Luke yours? Uh, no, yeah, I think everybody's everybody's yeah. folks have. Have they been pretty like when they when they see it? Do they respond well? Just because I mean, again, you're not like the performance art aspect. It's always a little different than just like sitting and watching your kids play i mean i don't have kids obviously but like play music yeah. you're there's there's an uh audience involvement almost yeah yeah, yeah. they love it, they love it. <laughs> your mom especially is a huge yeah my mom's a super fan she's recorded several of our shows like archive wise <laughs> yeah i yeah i think my parents uh I think my parents appreciate the uh, the fact that we've played shows that people have attended. Mm. I don't know that it's really like, I don't think they really, like my parents like, like I grew up on like the Eagles mm. and like Vince Gill and like things that, like my parents were never listening to any kind of like even remotely punk music mm -hmm. at all. Um, and like any, to this day still, if there's a band that even remotely has like distorted guitars, kind of a garagey vibe or whatever, he will always be like, wow, it sounds just like The Clash. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the band is. So yeah. it's like, they're not really, I think that they're just like, oh yeah, yeah. They, they, my kid is doing something. Mm -hmm. They're not like, yeah. really that interested, but they appreciate it. Mm -hmm. um, so I was wondering how... Do you find it difficult to translate that live energy onto record? Because listening, I was listening to Prayer Starter. I mean, I listened to Hold It Together, obviously, a number of times. And I was listening to Prayer Starter this morning over coffee in my bagel. Um, prime morning record, uh, fun facts. Uh, um, nice. But That's cool. Do, do you find um, translating that energy that you have in your live shows and that performance art onto record difficult? Or how does that work for you? Yeah. So I think it was difficult with our first record because it was our first time really going into mm -hmm. like a professional studio and recording 
Um, that said, I think with this Hold It Together record, one thing that we did really intentionally was we scheduled a two-week tour where we played all the songs every night. And then immediately after tour, like I think like the, uh, we had one day off in Minneapolis when we came home. And then we recorded the album right away at Future Condo with uh, engineer extraordinaire Jordan Blue. Uh, mm-hmm. Really helped us out there. Um, yeah. Blue is spelled B-L-E-A-U, by the way. Gotcha. Um, I always botch his last yeah. name or their last name just because yeah. it's it's uh, the the accent and the the spelling always throws yeah, me off. Yeah, yeah, it is it is he by the way you got it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so I think that just with this record, it, we really were focused on capturing the as close to live mm-hmm. sounding as possible, and I think it shines through. You know, yeah. Well, all the songs are super fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're all like yeah. uh, two minutes and under. <laughs> Yeah, that was definitely our first, like, uh, reaction when we got the roughs back from Jordan listening to them. We were like, holy shit, these songs are all way faster than we initially wrote them at, just mm-hmm. because, you know, we've been playing every night, which which I think lends that kind of, because I think that it's pretty accurate to describe our live energy as kind of manic and even a little bit chaotic, and I wanted, and I think we all wanted to track that, and I think that on this album, yeah, this is the closest we've ever gotten to really bottling mm-hmm up that energy whatever it is because we just live we just played the songs live in the room together and i think jordan is such a talented engineer and has known our band for years mm-hmm. and has seen us plenty of times that he was like i think the i think the choices he made in the way that he wanted to engineer the record really made a difference and that and also future condo just sounds great i think the room sounds amazing okay Did- also just like to point out that jordan is the one playing the theremin at the end of the hold it together song oh yeah, really that's, a- that's cool uh-huh. and- and he says, uh, oh, oh, fuck, in the, uh, what song? Uh, oh, fuck. He's in that. Oh, in, gum, in Gum Cutter? In yeah, gum he's, cutter. In the, yeah, he's in that crowd of people saying, oh, no, and oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, did Jordan have to do anything, like, because you said you performed a lot of these songs live in the studio. Uh, did Jordan have to do anything special, do you remember, to make sure he really captured that as opposed to just, like, throwing close mics on everything and just hoping that something came out of it that sounded more than just a band in a studio? Mm, I think, I think it was a lot of like close mic placing and just doing like, like it was, it wasn't any kind of unconventional recording practice. I just think that he, especially in knowing, I mean, just, just really subtle stuff, like knowing what volumes to set or Mm. like how, or, or to like allow me to just play loud on my guitar and like just like let and record the amp at like a high volume or and then he also just trusted us to really deliver and just let us do our thing i think jordan also is good at knowing when to step away and i think that that was that was good because this was i'd say like especially i'm glad jared pointed out that with prayer starter it like had this there's this element of us going into the studio for the first time and kind of this feeling of anxiety and kind of you know uh a little bit of an imposter syndrome mm-hmm. for me personally. Um, and then with this record, it felt like we we came in, we knew what we wanted to do, we knew exactly how we wanted to do mm-hmm. it, and we just ripped. And then we did. Yeah. We, tracked this, we tracked this record in like what fifteen hours? Like oh, it was like yeah, yeah. yeah we, we tracked yeah we tracked it pretty damn fast. We did on Veni Vici Vici. Yeah, I think Jordan just Jordan just knew. Uh, yeah, knew our band. To, we had worked recording with him on No Costume and Prayer Starter, obviously as well. And uh, yeah, he like 
I remember coming to the studio and he had my amp set up. He just knew mm-hmm. which amp would sound best with my my playing style, mm-hmm. which amp would sound best out of the resources that we had, and I just trusted that he knew what he was doing, and he did. I think it sounds great. Nice. One thing that's weird is the space we recorded it in was this really like it was like this industrial warehouse in Longfellow hmm. that you you had to walk down you had to walk past these two just like defunct bathrooms that clearly hadn't been attended to in years. Yeah, like, no with the Irish paper, so Yeah, like somebody <laughs> just left a bottle of body wash there like five years ago, and, it, and people are still scraping the bottom of it for, to wash their hands. And then you walk down this super long hallway. And then you emerge into a really beautiful studio. It's the weirdest thing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So shout out to Future Future Condo. Yeah. Cool spot. Um, you said you had done a two-week tour leading up to the recording of Hold It Together. Um, is playing live a really big part of trying to get these songs worked out? Did you? I should say. I should say the the question I want to ask first was: Did you do something similar with Prayer Starter? Did you had these songs like worked out live before you came into the studio to record that record? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think that a big thing for us is just in this day and age, like most most artists make music that is kind of primarily consumed, mm-hmm. you know, versus like on Spotify, like the recorded material. You know, it's like you think about uh, like most music these days is sort of digital. It's not really live instrument based. Mm-hmm. So it, it really lives in your headphones. And I think for us, one thing that's really exciting about being a rock band, even though it's kind of like an outmoded concept at this point, is that, uh, you know, we can deliver the songs live. And I think that's where they that's when they live more so than on the record, even though, you know, the record's good too. I mean, everybody should buy it, but mm-hmm. come see us live. You know, that's the whole point of a rock band in 2020. <laughs> Although I guess maybe there won't be any more rock bands in 2020. We might have to wait till next year. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is an interesting, yeah, it's it, that, that's, Derek brings up a really good point just because I think that so much of like how I perceive the project of the florists is like is that it's something that happens in Mm -hmm. front of you and then with you collectively um, and just trying to go out with the audience and interact with them and try to be engaging in ways other than like playing instruments and Mm -hmm. simply and just playing songs and performing them Uh, but what's interesting about this I'm just really glad that we did the tour before we record all of it together because with prayer starter we had played all the songs live pretty yeah. consistently but we did a tour after we recorded it mm. and i really I'm, I'm curious if we had done the tour before we played prayer starter um, before we recorded prayer starter it would have been maybe a little bit less of like an anxious experience you know just mm-hmm. having that just we could have called it with that confidence it's like you know when you start when you start tracking it's like you're just in there and mm-hmm. you can't fuck up and you want, cause it's like, there's that pressure of wanting to play the song, you know, well. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the part of wanting to feel like your personality is coming through in the song and you're loose and having fun. And it's very difficult to have fun when you're like, you're like playing, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know? So yeah, it was, it was definitely, yeah, definitely to me, the two experiences were marked by a shift in confidence. Mm-hmm. So, Let's talk about your new record, Hold It Together, which was released a couple of weeks ago now, a week-ish as of recording this, I think. Um, yeah, I think. 
Um, and so on on the Bandcamp liner notes, which you write probably some of the best like promo for uh, for records that I that I can ever find, and I'm Thanks, always en- envious because like I, I helped I have, I'm helping out a little bit doing press stuff for um, Heavy Meadow and some other stuff, and trying I'm always envious of what I read on your Bandcamp, but. You call Hold It Together uh, 11 songs that are upbeat, catchy, and largely about all-consuming social dread. No downers, though, because the florists always remember to laugh that shit off. So talk to me about like the record and kind of that statement. Obviously, it goes on a little longer, but kind of talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, I guess it's kind of, it's sort of, it's, it's a joke, for mm-hmm. sure, just because it's like, I just think that uh, my personal coping mechanism, and I think something that Luke and Jared and I all have in common is that we like to riff on tragic things or to just riff about everyday life because it's like a great way to cope with the you know kind of brutal realities of everyday life. And um, I think that this record, as far as the content of all of the songs, a lot of them are pretty dark, like the, like as like like what they're about. But they're delivered in kind of a silly way. I think Gun Cutter is a great example mm-hmm. of that, given that it's like a song about not having health insurance and being fucked. Mm-hmm. And the way that it's delivered is through, you know, all of our vocals coming through and like stuff like goodbye, dad, like these dark little one liners mm-hmm. that kind of pit, you know, this upbeat, catchy, fun feeling kind of song with something that is gnawing inside mm-hmm. you. And I think that that's like, uh, it's just a personal tension that I think is really interesting. Yeah. To me, I think like, you know, oh yeah, I was just gonna say to me, I think so social or <laughs> social, uh, a sense of humor is just so important to music. And I think we convey that both in the way we write about and think about our band, mm-hmm. as well as uh, just the way that we act on stage or the way our songs sound. I feel like a sense, I, I think that not taking yourself too seriously is such a important thing to making the kind of music at least that we make. So, mm. Yeah, right around the time that we formed as a band, uh, Jamar Clark was shot up at the 4th Precinct, is it right? North Minneapolis. Mm. <laughs> and that was just a, you know, that was a pretty I think a pretty chaotic time to be in the city and to see the protests happening and to realize, you know, how unsafe so many people in our community are because of the color of their skin. And, you know, like Obama was still president when we formed. So I feel like like that was really the start of like being like a band in a political climate was kind of seeing how that, how, how our city reacted to the Jamar Clark shooting. And then like everything with Trump, like it just feels like, we formed the band at the perfect time to like, I don't know, just reflect all the chaos that's going on in our society. You yeah. Know? I mean, and it's like being on stage is kind of like your soul vomiting and there's a lot to vomit about these mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. And there's like not, and, and like, that's almost like the, like, like just the, just the sheer absurdity of the way that I, I it's interesting you put it in that chronology, Jared, because I guess I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's true. It's like, if, 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 if the absurdity of American political discourse is on a dial, it's been slowly and now at a much faster rate just turning and turning and turning to a deeper, more intense degree. And it's like the way it, it almost feels like we're, I don't know, like I almost feel like 
I have no choice but to try to figure out how to laugh at it or how to deconstruct it in a way that doesn't feel like totally depressing, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, so I think that's why the album is almost more maniacal because, mm -hmm. you know, just everything is. Life is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, most definitely. I, and I was also wondering, since you mentioned Luke and Joe, you kind of had the more morose singer-songwriter thing that that I wonder if the sardonic approach to this band was almost like an answer to those early songwrite, like songs you've been writing. Was that something you felt as well? or? I think that's a cool observation also, just considering uh, the interlude on, uh, the, on the album is actually one of the songs that I wrote, it's a riff from a song I wrote in high school and put on EP in high school. So it's just me playing that and revisiting that. So thinking of it in that way, I think, uh, yeah, it's interesting to think of it as kind of reflecting or responding to the, mm -hmm. where I came from, um, that interlude track specifically. Yeah. I also, touching on your question too, Joe, I also think it, um, I think that when we started as a band, like a really popular sound in Minneapolis, as Joe was saying earlier, was this kind of more self-serious, you know, coming from a singer-songwriter perspective with like kind of shoegaze or like, I don't know, you know, I feel like in 2015, like every band in Minneapolis was trying to out-serious each other mm. and it just felt yeah. like very few people were willing to take a risk and be goofy. And honestly, like a big inspiration for us is the Miami Dolphins who've always approached their art with such a sense of just absurdity and, you know, wonderful just lightness and yeah, I don't know, no. silliness. It's like, it's just, it's really, it, it's weird how people, how afraid people are in a musical context to be seen as silly. Yeah, it's, well, because it's... We're just so sexy that we pull it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you, since you mentioned the idea of being afraid to be, to be silly, because there's almost like a, like when you think of silly, like music, you, my mind almost goes to like the Weird Al's, like the Tenacious D's, like that kind of silly, and it's, not to say that, that that kind of art isn't like as valid, but it, it feels like you're, the joke is more the fact that you're making fun of the music than you are trying to make a joke with the music you're making. Yeah, it's like yeah. That, those are like more almost like parody examples. Mm -hmm, yeah. But then I think about bands like They Might Be Giants mm -hmm. or like Negative Land or like things where it's like they come from kind of a kooky off-kilter perspective but mm -hmm. the ideas that they're grappling with are often like really wild and existential and like kind of like sometimes even like inaccessibly weird mm -hmm. um which i think is which i think is kind of kind of fun and that's not exact because i feel like we don't we're, we're still in a lot of ways like a like a like like in in, in rock band voicings like we're we're playing rock music it's not like it doesn't have that kind of like clown car vibe mm -hmm. i feel like weird al has but one time in the show we played in Toronto, we were, uh, the guy who hosted the show said that we sounded like, uh, we were like a marriage between Weird Al and Dinosaur Jr., which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know that I really see it. I just think that there's something about the three of us on mm -hmm. stage together and the way that we look. We're like all really tall mm -hmm. and like have very different sensibilities. I think we're all like, like like we're all conventionally attractive in our own ways but in three very wildly different ways mm -hmm. and there's something about 
all of us giving 115% on stage that even when we're singing songs that I think of as like more serious mm -hmm. chorus songs, people still are like, you guys are just so fun. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's, that's easily the, the reaction that we get the most often I think, from people who have enjoyed watching our shows. And it's really interesting too. It just goes to show how much the, uh, the broader aesthetic, the way that the music sounds, being boppy and upbeat, the way that we are sweating and jumping around mm -hmm. and like having a ball. It's like, it almost supersedes the uh, content of the lyrics or even necessarily what, uh, you know, even mm -hmm. in some dark songs that have some pretty like dissonant chords and they're pretty loud and pretty abrasive kind of become something else. Yeah. Um, since you mentioned moving around so much, something that I remember seeing when I saw you live and then something that was mentioned again in the liner notes is you trade instruments on yeah. this record. Have you done that in the past on other releases or is this was this the first time you guys did it or you I, did it as a group? We, I, I play bass mm. on a couple of songs on Per Starter. Okay. But before, this, yeah, I and I mean. Switching more often the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Well, no costume. Uh, Luke plays lead guitar on Thanks Again. Oh, yeah. that's So true. I that's think right. it's pretty much always been a tradition in our band. Yeah. On the on playing kickball with the vicar. Mm -hmm. I forgot about that. Right. And also, uh, okay, yeah. But, I, yeah, I play guitar on, kind of have played guitar throughout um, our discography. But I would agree with Joe that we've been doing it more uh, I on... I guess it just, yeah, like three songs I think I play guitar on on this record mm -hmm. or something like that. Or, um, yeah, yeah so. I, I play guitar and play bass on a track on this record for the first time, which has been been fun. I feel like, you know, for me personally, like guitar's always been very secondary. So it's been, it's been a fun process to be able to build up my confidence enough as a, you know, multi-instrumentalist to be able to play instruments that I that aren't my main instrument, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's been something that's true for all of us. Like, you know, at the beginning of the band, I don't think Joe would have envisioned that they'd be playing drums on any tracks, but now they yeah, play drums on a few tracks, and not. it's awesome. Nice. And I think in doing that, too, like Jared said, like playing not our primary instrument on the songs, like it just, I think Jared had, for example, has such a unique, guitar voice uh, or voice on guitar and mm -hmm. I think Joe has such a unique voice on drums that it just like it makes like for really cool uh, differences between songs that I don't know I think it's super valuable like I think mm -hmm. both of them have like really unique visions for their secondary instruments or their mm -hmm. Did and he's you... trying to emphasize that, like, this band is, like, I don't know, I, I like that it's such a collaboration, and that's mm -hmm. sort of the point, mm -hmm. is that we're all, we're all the front person. I feel like we're trying to figure out how to, how to give everybody that opportunity. I think, Jared, you tweeted this when you were talking about the record, and I really like that. It's that we want to we wanna have a band where everybody gets a chance to lead, which I think mm -hmm. is fun. Yeah. Um, did... On top of trading instruments, did uh, vocal duties change a little bit during this record? Because I, I swore when I was listening through it yesterday, Cynistics and Jealous had different people singing those? Were that? Yeah, okay. yeah. So I sing lead on Cynistics and on Rondo. Okay. And Luke sings lead on Jealous. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. And since uh, 
uh, Jared, you mentioned Rondo. I was wondering the story behind that track, just because, I mean, the quote that was uh, the quote that's also in the liner notes. The did you know she's anti ebonics That that and the story it tells feels very one of the few tracks that feel very like that was a specific moment almost that I could pick yeah. out in my like in my just initial listening. <laughs> Yeah, well, after I graduated from college in 2016, I started working at uh, St. Paul Public Schools, and yeah, I guess I just had never really seen firsthand just kind of like the disparity in education for inner city students, especially if they're people of color, you know, specifically Mm -hmm. black and Latino who are lower income students, and and yet all the teachers at the school are white, and it's just kind of like creates this... Like the school that I worked at specifically, all the te- you know most of the teachers are white, most of the students are black or Latino or people of color, and uh, the school itself was designed by an architect who's famous for designing prisons. So there's just this real like vibe when you enter the building, just like this feels like a mill, like a, mm-hmm. a direct you know it just doesn't feel like a school in the way that like my school felt growing up, and it just kind of had me reflecting on that privilege and. One of the teachers at the school is just somebody who just appeared to be very hip and radical and cool, like had a shaped head, like, you know, has all these cool tattoos, like just seems very liberal and awesome. And I was in her classroom one day and she had, she had like tacked on an article from the Star Tribune from like the 90s that was just all about why Ebonics aren't real language and why we should all strive to speak proper English in America. Like it's one of the few things we have in our society and like Ebonics kind of destroying our language. And I just was so appalled. It's just like, why would you post this in a school where most of your students are black? Like, what kind of message is that sending to them? Yeah. You, you know, to, if you're a kid just sitting in this class and then you see that article, like, mm. I don't know. It, it feels very gross from somebody who doesn't come from that background, but it just hearing it sounds very gross. Well, and it's the thing is, it's like it's not even talked about. Like, mm-hmm. that's just the kind of, like, everyday racism that I just feel like... Yeah, it's mm. like you don't really think about it, but people do encounter that every day. <laughs> mm. I don't know. And then also the other irony is that the school itself is uh, built uh, just off the highway, which Highway 94, we all know, was uh, completed in order uh, in order to be completed. Uh, they needed to destroy the uh, black neighborhood in uh, St. Paul called Rondo. Mm. And I just kind of was imagining, like, you know, all these students now, all these poor black students who have to go to a school that's in a neighborhood that used to be a primarily black neighborhood. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just kind of feels like, well, we we raised the land and built up like a prison and I don't know. It just, it's like, so it just makes you feel so helpless. Like infrastructure is so fucking racist. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, well, that's what I love in the second verse of that song. Just when you're, or I guess in the bridge, maybe where you're just talking about driving down 94 and just like the the experience of the awareness of driving down something you use every day, mm-hmm. something that's so mundane and it's founded on racism and exclusion. Mm. Yeah. Um, so moving on, uh, a week before the record came out, you released the like the title track music video, which was hold it together, obviously. Um, Luke, you did that that video. Yeah. Talk to me about making that video and because I was looking through Facebook and trying to find some other, just kind of glean some other information and it, I read something about using projections and stuff like that. So talk to me about making that. Yeah, um, 
it's very like I would say making this video came at a time where I'm really kind of actively learning more about video production. Mm. Um, so it was like very much an exercise for me. We, uh, I used a program called Touch Designer to create basically a collage of Creative Commons footage uh, that we then projected over ourselves using, so using that projector as the lighting uh, for the video itself uh, in our practice space. Mm we projected those projections over ourselves, which were then layered over the top of the, the video that I had created that we were projecting. So it's just a lot of like layering of uh, these different projections and weird creative mm -hmm. common videos that are warped and mm -hmm. colored and um, clipping in a lot of ways visually and yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, so it was a really it was it was a really fun project for for me and um, just a fun project. We just got to be kind of again just got to be kind of silly in front of a camera mm -hmm. for uh, you know an hour or something mm -hmm. right before this whole thing started. So I really value the time that we spent filming this too. Was that a this so was this like a more of a band led video? I mean, Luke, you said you you did a lot of the work, but was this more of like the idea came band wise, or Luke, did you have that? Um, I'd say like everything that we're doing, kind of like in the way that we play in this band, everything that we're doing is kind of just our personality. So I don't really think of it. Yeah, I think of like what came out of this mm -hmm. project was a lot of just. What should we do with? I brought basically a big bag of objects, mm -hmm. uh, masks, uh, hats, and clothes, and uh, everyone was just allowed or like not allowed, but just encouraged to just like interact with mm -hmm. stuff however they want to. So I think a lot of the ideas and the way that it turned out was like very much like band led idea creation and yeah, gotcha. Ideation. Was this the first video the band did together? Because I, I know thinking back to like Prayer Starter, the videos for that, I, I if I'm remembering right, I didn't write it down. Uh, you worked with into, like filmmakers to make or to make those videos. Was this one of the first ones that you did as a group? Um, we actually did uh, How It Swells was a very collaborative video. Mm -hmm. We all edited together uh, for Prayer Starter. And actually, I would even say our first video, Pleasure Shrug, was like a, that was like a, that was like very much a mm -hmm. band. That was, I think that was like our biggest music video, like filming effort that we've ever put in. Like, I just remember spending what like 12 hours that day filming all of this stuff from like dawn to dusk um and so i'd say i'd say we've had a lot of history of collaborating mm -hmm. vi visual uh on, on what our videos and visuals look like our album mm -hmm. covers etc gotcha yeah. Um, along with the video, you connected with Heavy Meadow to release, well, the forthcoming tapes, I should say. So how did you get connected with Jeremy and all of that? I mean, we love Jeremy and Heavy Meadow and here at Ear Coffee. So like, how did yeah. you meet up to, to do this record with them? We've just known each other for years. Um, we've like, we've played with 
double grave back when they were called ego death mm-hmm. like we like i'd like at, the, at this point it was just we knew we had the album we knew we wanted to do something with it for somebody oh my god we wanted to put this out on a label we self-released everything we've done um so it was just it seemed like a totally it just seemed like an opportunity that made sense. I mm-hmm. mean, Jeremy's put out our pals. Jeremy is a pal. Um, I think We've known Jeremy really me like since him. before we even formed the band, so I think that it's been, you know, it's just natural. You know, mm-hmm. you really want to work with people like Jordan or like Jeremy, just people who have been in your corner a long time, you mm-hmm. know? You're day ones. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They've all, he's just been super supportive. For, he's always been a huge fan of the forest, so it just felt right. Gotcha. Um, and then we're wrapping things up here. What does, I mean, since, I mean, the world has been kind of put on pause by uh, the pandemic, but what does 2020 look like for the band currently? Do you have any live streams coming up? I know tapes are in the work potentially, stuff like that. Or Yeah, as far as tape, as far as the tape goes, we'll, we'll, we'll probably have that coincide when we're able to like play some mm-hmm. type of release show when that, when that is eventually possible. For right now, though, I mean, I personally, um, I'm kind of in the camp. We haven't really, we haven't discussed a live stream, but I'm sort of in the camp that uh, just because something can happen online doesn't mean that it should. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, I'm not, what I've kind of really found refreshing about this whole experience is that I have uh, kind of put this weird public-facing pressure that I often feel being a member of a band, mm-hmm. wanting people to enjoy my band's music and think about my band, is that, like, I'm kind of strategizing and thinking about different opportunities to put your, you know, kind of get a little bit of that attention economy shifted at us. And um, what's great is in this experience of quarantining, I have not really felt that impulse. So mm. I'm just, like, practicing guitar and reading books and writing songs and just doing things that are not so obsessively about currying the favor of like consumers Mm -hmm. and not that like live streaming is bad or wrong it's just that i think that what we do personally it's like an audience is essential like Mm -hmm. the whole thing of it being live is that it's an art form that happens in a particular place and time and Mm -hmm. like that is not accessible right now and i honestly would like hate to see everybody pivot to like zoom shows and to like yeah because to me it's like it's just not really the same and especially Mm -hmm. like the band and also i think that that kind of showcases like another element of classism like who's able to afford Mm -hmm. like really nice cameras and nice equipment to make your live stream not sound like shit Mm -hmm. and you know and so i think that um yeah the 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 weird nice refreshing feeling of being at peace with my identity and my identity as it relates to the band and just working on stuff. And when mm-hmm. we can come back, we'll come back. That's kind of how I see it. I'm curious okay. to hear what you guys would think. Cause I have, we haven't talked well, about The truth is uh, we haven't taken a break as a band in five years, mm-hmm. you know, since we started in 2015, we just really haven't stopped. We've pretty much rehearsed almost every single week for the last five years. Yeah. So, you know, I'm kind of taking this opportunity as like, you know, most bands take breaks, mm-hmm. and I think it's okay to take a break, even though it doesn't totally feel natural or feel mm-hmm. right. Like it, it feels like maybe the timing was pretty good mm-hmm. here, you know. Mm-hmm. And, 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 yeah. and uh, honestly, I think 
sorry. Oh, uh, I also think we should do a thing where we all just like we we all contribute like two songs to like a little DIY like EP or something that we make like a quarantine yeah, EP. We all, and then make it like like the Kiss albums where we each of our faces is a different album cover. <laughs> <laughs> or the Green Day albums, Uno Dos Tres. Oh, no. Yeah, Uno Dos Tres. <laughs> but Uno Dos Tres, but good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, actually, yeah. though, their their new album is, is pretty good. I, I, I recommend everybody listen to Green Day's newest record. Um, yeah, I, uh, we all, I, yeah, we all make music on our own too and i think we're using this as an opportunity to to experiment more with that too which i think is also super valuable because i think then when we come back together we will have been developing consistently our voice with the florist but also our voice as uh, individual musicians as well i also wanted to uh, tease. I think this is a good opportunity to tease. We'll uh, we'll eventually be having. Uh, we're working on mixing uh, right now a uh, a live record um, that uh, will eventually come out when things you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and several more right. videos are in the pipe. Okay. Yeah, more videos. videos. There'll, there'll be stuff you'll hear from mm-hmm. us, but we'll we'll save because we have a for the for the release show. I was. I was planning this like there's this big, big performance element of it, and oh. I, 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 I'm just excited to be able to reveal that when the time comes. Hmm. Well, finally, where can people find the florists? Bandcamp, Instagram, uh, Instagram yep. at floristmen, mn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Instagram's the best place to okay. find us. Facebook. Yep. The florist MN, Facebook, where just the florists, you can find us. We regularly update those things. And, uh, yeah, the new record will be on Bandcamp and Bandcamp only for the foreseeable future. It will eventually come to streaming services. But, uh, yeah, and then YouTube, Facebook, Korea. We'll be there. We'll be posting. Awesome. Well, mm-hmm. Joe, Jared, Luke, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me on this Saturday almost afternoon. Of course. Happy yeah. that you uh, asked this. This is great. Ear Coffee Podcast is a companion to the blog of the same name. If you like this episode, please leave us a rate and review so we can stand out among the other music podcasts. You can follow us at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ear Coffee. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.